seat. Welcome to Village Church. If this is your first time here, my name is Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Village Church. And as always, I am thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Joshua chapter 14. We're going to be starting in verse 6 this morning as we continue to make our way through the book of Joshua. Last week, we went through Joshua chapter 13, where God told Joshua that even in light of his old age, God was not done working through Joshua. Because quite frankly, there is no retiring from the call of God on your life. Israel still needed Joshua's leadership, and Israel still needed to take that land. Even though the external resistance was gone, they'd fought all the battles, they'd defeated every form of resistance that stood between them and taking conquest on the land, they still needed to move forward, they still had to actually move throughout the land, they still had to take every square inch of what God had called them to exert His conquest over. The reality is, is that when the resistance fades, that should be the moment where we take the most ground. But for so many of us, when there's no exterior resistance to be found, that's actually where the interior resistance in your life is going to pop up. We have to fight the temptation towards apathy. We have to fight the temptation towards stagnation in our lives where the call of God is concerned. And when for many... That's the time when you cease to move forward. That's the time when you try to sit still. That's the time when you try to rest. And ultimately what we saw is going to happen is that you will drift towards a faithless existence, end up getting consumed by the sin that's going to be tempting for you in the end because you didn't endure in your faith in Jesus Christ. Joshua 14 covers the second spy that wanted to take the land back in the book of Numbers. covers Caleb and his faith. Caleb, just like Joshua, had been a spy into the promised land decades earlier, and they were the only two that returned to Israel with a message to engage the resistance that stood in front of them in the promised land, because God had told them to take it. What I hope you realize in this passage is that vision for life is easy to get. It's easy when you have an emotional high. It's easy when things are going your way. It's easy when you have one of those mountaintop experiences with God to receive a vision from God and get on fire for him and say, I'm going to take every promise that God has made for me. I'm going to live the conquest that God has called me towards. But what's difficult is enduring in vision. What's difficult in life is that when discouragement comes, and it will, what's difficult is that when pain enters your life, and it will, What's difficult is when you have one of those emotional lows, and you will. It's difficult in those moments to maintain the vision for your life that you received when you were receiving kind of almost this excitement from the gospel in the moment. Question is, what are you going to do when resistance does pop up? Question is, are you going to have the faith that it takes to move forward when the days become weeks, when the weeks become months, when the months become years, and in the place of Caleb, when the years become decades of not receiving the promise of God, yet still maintaining that same vision for your life? We'll start reading in Joshua 14, verse 6. It said, Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord 
my God. Number one this morning, you need to build a resume of faith in God. You need to build in your life a resume of faith in God where you remember the work that God has done for you. Now, ultimately, what you're going to see is Caleb's coming to Joshua and he's saying, it's my time to receive the promise. It's my, my time to receive an allotment of land. But Caleb doesn't go to Joshua and say, Joshua, I'm strong enough. Joshua, I'm good enough. Joshua, I've got the strength inside of myself to reach my personal vision for potential. Now, what does he do? He recounts everything that God did for him and Joshua. He recounts the commands that God had for them. He even recounts, hey, where everybody else failed, I believed in the faithfulness of God to actually give us the promises that he had made. There's no air of formality between him and Joshua because they'd served the Lord together. There's no greater camaraderie than serving God with someone else. There's no greater camaraderie than enduring in good times with somebody while you serve God. And let me tell you something right now. There's no greater camaraderie than when you've seen things go the wrong direction with somebody that you've served the Lord with. Caleb had that relationship with Joshua. So it doesn't come before him and say, oh, faithful leader. He basically says, hey, man, where's the land? I want to take it. He comes and he reminds him of everything that God had done to basically say, you know what God promised me and you know why God promised it to me and you know what we went through to receive the promise of God. That is the vision for the Christian life. I mean, quite frankly, God's love is revealed to us through his promises. We live our lives in pursuit of taking hold of everything that God has promised us. Now, as I said, it had been many years since Caleb had received the promise. But the first few things that Caleb says to Joshua are not demands. He doesn't approach him and immediately start demanding anything. No, he gives a resume of God's faithfulness to his promises. He gives a resume of everything that Joshua had endured with him. Numbers 13 recounts exactly what Caleb is talking about when they're confronted with faithlessness from the people of Israel. It says in verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Why would he quiet them? He says, shut up. I know some of you don't like it when I use such crass language, but I'm teaching your children a better lesson than you're teaching them. There is a time and a place where be quiet isn't firm enough or shut up is the word that you need. And right now he's looking in the face of the enemy and he's saying, shut up. And he says, let us go up at once, occupy the land for we are well able to overcome it. That's a vision. That's a living vision for how the hand of God can work in your life. And Caleb gives it to the people of Israel. He says, we will be able to overcome anything that is thrown our way. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we are. Think about that. Caleb has a vision from God. He has faith in God. He says, God has made a promise and God keeps his promises. We will be able to overcome any resistance that we will face in the land. And then the voice of faithlessness comes behind him. The crowd begins to speak up and says, hold your horses there, Caleb. We won't win. We can't win. Verse 32, so they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we had gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. How's that for some discouragement? They're tall. <laughs> 
They saw some of these guys, six five at least. We're only five seven. We won't win. We laugh. But that's no more foolish than some of the things that discourage you. That's no more foolish than some of the reasons that you sit stagnant in your faith, thinking that the enemies and the resistance in your life is too great for you to overcome. It would be great if it did reach that they're too tall for us. That's at least a tactical reality that you have to keep in mind. The other spies told Israel all the reasons that they should not go into the promised land. Caleb with Joshua, though, reminds the people God's made a promise. Faith is always revealed through your action. It's one thing to talk. It's another thing to move. It's one thing to say that you have faith in God. It's another thing to actually take hold of the promises of God. It's another thing to actually live the mission that God has given you. It's one thing to stand on the brink of the promised land and thank God for handing it over to you. It is another thing to walk into the promised land and actually begin to take possession of everything that God has promised you. You know, God has a purpose for every command. Friends, God does not arbitrarily make commands of your life. If God tells you to move, he always has a reason for it. It doesn't matter whether or not you understand it. That's what so many people do, and it's disobedience. You say, well, when I understand the call of God a little bit more, I'll obey. You know what you're doing in that instance? You're making God subservient to you. You're putting your authority over top of God's. And one thing that I can tell you clearly about God this morning is that he is not subservient to you. You don't obey because you see the outcome of your obedience. You obey because you trust God sees the outcome of your obedience. It's not about you understanding. It's about trusting that God understands. And his wisdom is always higher than your understanding. And so when God gives you a call, when God gives you a clear command in Scripture, he's not asking you if you understand it. He's asking you if you trust him. Because the posture of trust moves forward in obedience even when you don't understand it. Your refusal to order your life around the purposes of God is a revelation of the sin of faithlessness. When you don't move with God, it's very simple. It means you don't trust God. For so many of you, you are stuck in what happened five years ago or even five weeks ago. God is commanding you to trust him enough to move forward with your life. And you think that you have the option to stay where you are and still claim faith. You say, well, I have my reasons. God hasn't asked us for reasons. God has asked us to obey him. Friends, that's not faith. That's faithless fear. It is disobedience. Further in Numbers 14, Joshua and Caleb remind the people again, we cannot fear these people. We have to move into the land and take it because fear is the enemy of faith. They cannot coexist on the same plane. Numbers 14, starting in verse 6, Joshua, the son of Nun, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. They stood against the crowd and said to all of the congregation of the people of Israel. Now I want to pause there and let you understand that when you will stand for God, understand the crowd may stand against you and oftentimes will. 
You can't look and say, what is the most popular? You can't look and say, well, what has majority support? You can't look and listen to the haters, even if the haters outnumber you 10 to 1. They outnumber Joshua and Caleb thousands against two. And Joshua and Caleb, in mourning were the people's disobedience, they stood before the congregation and they said, the land which we passed throughout to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Honey, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them. I don't care how tall they are. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Think about that. They're not just saying you're not popular anymore. No, they're going to execute them. They're so angry that anyone would have the audacity to call into question their faith when compared to their lack of action and obedience to God. They didn't just say, well, we're going to leave your church. No, they looked at them and said, we're going to kill both of you. How dare you? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. It's fascinating. God's glory saved them. Friends, there are many times that faith demands you stand against the crowd regardless of the cost. Doesn't matter what the cost is. Doesn't matter what the risk is. I love the fact that Caleb and Joshua very much were standing there and like, we're about to die. They didn't know the glory of the Lord was going to appear. It reminds me of in the book of Daniel when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They don't look in the fiery furnace and say, we are absolutely sure that God is about to do a miracle. No, what do they say? They say, even if God doesn't save us, we will not bend the knee. Because when you're standing outside of a human oven, you're pretty sure you're about to get cooked. Yet God saved them. Years ago, I heard a story of an old evangelist from my childhood. His name was John R. Rice. Now, I caution you a lot of, I, you know, when you grow up in church ministry and you meet enough pastors, you find out they make up a lot of stories. <laughs> All right. So, so this is legend. I don't know if it's true, but he just finished preaching a sermon at a church late at night in Hammond, Indiana. Not a great area to be in late at night is my understanding. And he went to a diner with another pastor. And as they were leaving this diner, uh, somebody came up to them, pulled a gun on him. The way he told the story is the guy pointed the gun at his belly, and he was pretty old at that point. He admitted he had a pretty pronounced belly. And the guy pointed the gun at his belly and said, I'm going to blow your brains out if you don't give me your money. And John R. Rice looked back at him and said, you got pretty bad aim. <laughs> but then according to John R. Rice, he collected himself and looked at the young man and said, are you threatening me with heaven? How much do you trust God? Do you trust God with glory more than you trust this world with your salvation? 
See, for so many, you are so afraid of people. And I will tell you, it's one thing that I've never understood. Maybe it's the people that I was raised around. Maybe it's just the discipleship that I received. But one thing that I have never been able to wrap my mind around, I struggle to empathize with so many. And it's the majority of you. You are terrified of other people. What are you so afraid of? Why are you afraid of what people might say about you? Because I will tell you, if you spend any time following Jesus Christ, I make you a guarantee. Someone, many someones are going to vilify you. They're going to question everything about you. You could be the most legitimate person on earth and you're going to be accused of being a phony. You could be the most obedient person in the world and they're going to try to find sin in your life. If you follow Jesus, everybody's going to look at you and they're going to question your sanity. They're going to call you an extremist. They're going to call you a bigot. They're going to call you a racist. They're going to call you every name in the book. And God says, keep standing. Never bow to the crowd when the crowd would have you compromise your faith. Numbers 14, verse 20, we continue the story. Then the Lord said, after looking at Israel and saying, you've been disobedient, I'm going to kill every one of them. Moses intercedes and says, God, please don't kill them. Lord said, I've pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to their fathers. Said you used worldly wisdom rather than faith, therefore you don't get the promise. But look, verse 24, but my servant, Caleb, that's amazing right there. What does God call Caleb? He says, my servant. There is no greater compliment than could be paid in all of scripture to a human being than God look at you and say, my servant. Because to serve the Lord means you believe the Lord. To serve the Lord means you obey the Lord. To serve the Lord means you have faith in God. He doesn't immediately kill the Israelites, but their faithlessness prevents them from inheriting the promised land. But he says, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit. I love that. He says, this guy's different. This guy's not faithless. This guy's faithful. He has followed me fully. I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. You must live by faith to have that designation. To serve God, friends, requires the faith to move forward with God into the life that he's designed for you, regardless of any extenuating circumstances. Regardless of anything else, you ignore the rest. You ignore everything else. You ignore the crowd. You ignore the haters. Why? Because number two this morning, God's promises are certain for those who endure in faith. There's the promise and then there's the qualification. Promise is the land. The qualification is endure in faith. You have to continue to follow him. Endurance is what gains the prize. Caleb would endure the wandering years in the wilderness. This is the amazing thing. God looks to Caleb and he says, you're going to get the land. And 
45 years later, Caleb hadn't gotten the land. Israel was punished, made to wander through the wilderness for 40 years. But what was Israel's punishment was Caleb's discipline. Caleb was called by God, wander with them. And Caleb wandered. Caleb watched every single one of his contemporaries except Joshua die. All of his friends, all of his family members. Now he's in the promised land, ready to receive it. Everybody else is a generation younger, and there's two grandpas meeting at Hardy's, <laughs> Joshua and Caleb. Look at verse 9. <clears throat> Moses swore on that day, Caleb still speaking, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. And as strong today, now he does talk about his strength, and as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me, my strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for coming and going. So give me the hill country. I love the confidence that he has. He says, I have endured. He would receive the promise of God in his lifetime. He would leave a legacy of faith, he says, for generations to come. Caleb presented his resume of faith and the promise to Joshua and said, I'm ready to keep moving in faith. Caleb looks to Joshua as if to say, I'm not finished yet. I'm not finished until I see the promise of God. There's this great juxtaposition in the text between Joshua and Caleb. Narrative of Israel tells us a lot about Joshua. From his relationship to Moses as his assistant, to his leadership of Israel after the death of Moses, leading them into the promised land, leading them into battle. We know far less about Caleb. We know far less about his years wandering the wilderness in Israel. Even his place in the battles to take the promised land, the text doesn't really tell us anything. But the one key thing that we know from this text is that Caleb stayed faithful, even serving in obscurity until this very moment. There's nothing better to be recorded in Scripture than a life of enduring faithfulness. There's no records of Caleb having embarrassing sin. All that we see in this narrative is he was a man who did not give up. He kept the faith. He stayed the course. Now he wants the promise. But here's the key with the promise. There were still land to be taken. Caleb isn't saying deliver it to me on a platter. Why is Caleb saying I'm just as strong as I was 45 years ago? Because when everybody else is going to be looking for a pair of depends on a walker, Caleb says hand me a sword. I've got land to take. God will be faithful because of the promise he's made. Caleb charted a course in his life for over four decades 
to receive what God had promised him. And he wants Joshua to know he's as ready to take it now as he was 40 years ago. His faith hadn't slipped. He hadn't lost the vision. He hadn't been discouraged. He knew that God would give him the strength to take it because God had made a promise. And in Caleb's life, it was the faithfulness of God that was his encouragement to keep moving forward. That's what so many miss about the Christian life. It's not about you. It's about God. When it starts being about you, you will depend on your own wisdom. You will depend on your own strength. You will depend on your own ability and you will fail. You will not endure under your strength. You will not endure by your ability. Caleb's not standing there saying, I found some kind of cosmic anabolic steroid. He's not saying, I'm on testosterone replacement therapy. He's not saying, I got the HGH, the good stuff. No, it's a supernatural strength that God has given him because God made a promise and God meant to deliver on that promise. Friends, when the faithfulness of God is your strength, you understand what the Apostle Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians 9.24. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. I've watched a lot of Olympics over the years. I've never been qualified even to sit on the sidelines. I lose 100 foot races out of 100. But when you think about the mindset of a runner... You think about everything that comes into play when they're running, every reason that they should quit, every moment where they could be distracted, but they are singularly minded. It's amazing to think about the mindset of a professional athlete, especially professional runners, because it takes so much endurance. Think about the crowd. They want one guy to win, not the other guy. So they're going to hurl insults at the guy that they don't want to win. And he's not listening to the crowd. He's looking at the goal, according to the Apostle Paul. He says he's looking at the finish line. He's singularly minded. Nothing will distract him. Nothing will deter him. Nothing will discourage him. And there's one among the crowd that will be so laser focused. His training will be so in tuned. His talent will be so good. And he will be able to so ignore every ounce of pain that his body is screaming out and saying, Stop running! And he's so singularly minded, he's the winner. There's two types of people that I found physically in this world. There's people that when they feel pain, I'm talking physical pain, they try to prove a point to their bodies. I'm either going to win or my body's going to break. Those are the two options. That's a different mindset than so many have. And then there's the other type of person. Wear an ingrown toenail. Ow. I better go sit down. <laughs> that guy's not going to win. I mean, I'm not saying anything about him. You guys laughed. That's on you. But I can tell you one thing. He's not crossing the finish line. He's not going to win. And for so many of you, the point that Paul is making is while you are following Jesus Christ, there are going to be dozens and dozens of reasons every day why you should quit. 
And there's one reason that's greater than every one of them, and that is that God has called you to faith in Jesus Christ. He's called you to endure. He's called you to inherit the kingdom of heaven. For so many of you, somebody hurts your feelings. For so many of you, somebody betrayed you. For so many of you, God didn't answer this prayer. For so many of you, that person walked out the door when you wanted them to walk in the door, or that person walked in the door when you wished they'd walked out the door. For so many of you, your plan didn't go the way that you envisioned it going. For so many of you, nobody ever said, I'm sorry. And for so many of you, you've, re you've refused to say, I forgive you. For so many of you, someone else's disobedience has jaded you towards faith. And for many of you, it's your disobedience that is keeping you from growing in your faith. Friends, this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. Life is defined by faithfulness over the long haul. And you can apply that to every single aspect of life and you will be better for it if you take, think about it this way, if you take a day in marriage, you may see nothing but failure. I've been blessed to know people who have been married for over five decades you think they didn't have reasons to quit over 50 years? I've often told people the good stuff of marriage doesn't even start till after year 10, so hold on tight. You spend the first 10 years just figuring yourself out. All right? After that, you're able to love someone else oftentimes. See, so many people define their relationships by a singular event. You will never succeed if that's what you do. If it's about a day, it's over. It's got to be over the long haul of a commitment. So many of you define your lives by a momentary setback that you define as failure. But if you keep your hand to the plow... If you refuse to give up, as Jesus said in Luke 9, he said, anybody that puts their hand to the plow of the kingdom of heaven yet looks back is not worthy of the kingdom. If you keep your hand to that plow of the gospel, you will see a life of God enduring you to success. God enduring you to growth. Friends, I beg you, do not let the solitary moments discourage you when God is writing a lifelong biography for you. Never quit. Never an angel of encouragement came to me. When I say that, I mean discouragement. Came to me between the services and tried to give me a reason to quit. You think it doesn't happen to me? Happens to me every day. I laugh. Why? Because I got to take hold of that prize. It's at the finish line. Friends, in serving Jesus Christ, the haters are aplenty. They will gather around you and give you every reason under the sun to quit. The pagans are going to tell you to quit. The pagans are going to tell you every single day it's not worth it. But the sad thing is, is so many within the church will give you every reason to quit. 
That's why you must listen to one voice in your life above all the others. And it's so difficult sometimes to tune them out. But you got to listen to the Holy Spirit before you listen to anybody else. And the Holy Spirit will only ever tell you one thing. You want to know what the Holy Spirit is going to tell you? The Holy Spirit will never tell you to quit. The Holy Spirit will tell you, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I know it looks bad, but keep going. I know you failed, but keep going. I know someone said, but keep going. I know someone hurt you, but keep going. Never, ever, ever quit. Cultivate a life of faith that grows over the long haul. I love Joshua 14, 11. I love it. You got that old man strength. He said, I'm as strong today as I was 45 years ago. Friends, that wasn't Caleb saying, I've done my push-ups and my crunches. That was Caleb saying, God has provided a supernatural ability to me, and I'm not giving up. Too many of you have quit, or too many of you are about to quit because you feel weak. You're quitting because it's been too long. You're quitting because something didn't happen the way that you wanted it to yesterday or something didn't happen the way that you wanted it to 10 years ago. So you decided that God was done with you or you decided that you are done with God. In 1 Timothy 1.12, the Apostle Paul is at the very end of his life. He's about to die. And he writes to Timothy, a young pastor, and he says in verse 12, the gospel is what he'd been talking about. He says, the gospel is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day, the day of judgment, the day of his death, what has been entrusted to me. I mean, think about it. Put yourself in the Apostle Paul's shoes. He's sitting there awaiting execution. He's lost his freedom. He's suffering He'd been vilified. He's physically ill at this point. What is his response to the setbacks? Not I'm strong enough. Not I can do it and gosh darn it, people like me. No, his response, I know whom I have believed in. Who is it about? It's not about Paul. His secret to endurance is that he kept his eyes on God. His life wasn't defined by his temporary circumstance. His life was defined by the promises of God. And that's what Caleb's faith was anchored to. So many of you are going to quit. I know most people won't tell you that. I'll be honest with you. Some of you aren't going to make it. Some of you won't be here in five years. Some of you won't be in any church in five years. Some of you won't be following Jesus in five years. Because something's going to come into your life and you're going to get so discouraged that you give up. You stop running the race. You walk off the track. And when that moment comes, if you don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit clearly, hear this. Don't do it. Don't quit. You say, but my sin is so great, His grace is better. 
You say, but the pain is too strong. He's been there and he'll walk with you through every moment of pain and grief. You say, I can't hold on. He will hold on for you when you are too weak. Cry out like Caleb, I'm just as strong as I was 45 years ago in faith. Never quit on Jesus because God will somehow use the pain of the moment to create thanksgiving and gain for tomorrow. Caleb looks at Joshua as if to say, I'm not finished yet because God isn't finished with me yet. Because number three, understand it takes faith to step into the future of God's design. It takes faith to step into the future of God's design. When God has made a promise, do not ever let there be any discouragement that can make you walk away. I love Caleb's great faith here. Don't miss this. Look down in the text in verse 12. He says, so now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord did. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron excuse me, to Caleb the son of Jephunneh for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now, I want you to understand something. Caleb asked for the hill country. Caleb requested the cities that were inhabited by those really tall guys. He's been waiting for 45 years filled with resentment. He said, I'm gonna, I'll show you. I'm just going to bide my time. I'll show you. They're not that tall. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us how tall Caleb was, but in my story... The Steve International version. He's like 5'5", five, five, all right? He's a, he's a wee little man, all right? It's Zacchaeus's, you know, guy here. And he looks to Joshua. He says, I've been waiting for 45 years to show them they were wrong. And they might all be dead, but I'll still show them. You see two things from Caleb here. First thing you see from Caleb is faith. His faith had not diminished one bit. He wanted to prove a point to the entire nation of Israel. The reason that they didn't enter the promised land. He wanted to be the one to defeat them so that he could look back and say, I told you so. Faith will fill you with a lot of holy vinegar to prove people that don't believe Jesus wrong. And that's good. If nobody ever tells you in, their li in your life that that's good, let me free you. It's great. <laughs> Proving people wrong because you've trusted Jesus Christ is one of the best things in life. But the second thing you see from him is humility. He said it doesn't sound very humble for him to look at them and say, I want the hill country that nobody else thought was possible because I'm going to defeat the Anakim. No, what you don't understand is, what does he say in verse 12? It may be that the Lord will be with me. He leaves possibility he's going to die. Because <laughs> he knows if God doesn't show up, I am sunk. But he believed God would show up. There's humility in this passage because he basically says, if I go up there and the Lord isn't with me, there's nothing I can do. 
I'm just an old man. But if the Lord works through me, there's no one that's going to be able to stand in my way. It takes humility to trust God. It takes arrogance to disobey God. Arrogance looks at it in that situation and says, I'm not strong enough. I'm not brave enough. I don't think I can do it. Well, who's the center of your universe? I. That's not what Caleb says. Caleb says, it may be that the Lord will be with me, that I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Friends, God has a future that he has designed for you just like he had a future designed for Caleb. Some of you can't wait 45 minutes to see the return on faith. Caleb waited 45 years. I mean, I have to believe he's a human being. I have to believe at some point wandering in the wilderness, whether it was year one or whether it was year 37, he had to think to himself, is God ever going to give me the promised land? It's been so long, and I'm still walking. They're not all even dead yet. But Caleb kept following, friend, will you? And I ask, just got to ask the question. God has called you to something in your life. Why aren't you taking hold of it? If God's promises are true, why are you letting sin sidetrack you? Why are you letting discouragement sidetrack you? Why are you letting people sidetrack you? Why are you letting something that happened five years ago sidetrack you? Why are you letting your refusal to forgive someone sidetrack you? Why are you finished when God isn't finished with you? I understand when people read the Old Testament narratives like this, we struggle to find the application. Because let's be frank, there's not a physical hill for us to take. There's not a amount of acreage where we're going to look at and say, God has given that to me according to Scripture, so I'm going to take it. But you have to look at this and see the faithfulness of God and see the results of Caleb's faith and say, what promises has God called me to endure for? I want to be clear in the application because it's so easy to miss. What has God promised you that you have not taken yet? Some of you are missing it because you refuse to look at your life as something that God is Lord over. I'm going to give you a few specific promises. God has promised to use you to spread the gospel over the world. Are you moving into that territory? God has promised that he wants to redeem marriages to show the gospel in relationship. Where is your marriage? God has promised that mothers and fathers can raise their kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Where is your focus on raising children? God has promised that you can grow in discipleship through the spiritual disciplines like scripture, prayer, gospel community with other believers. Where are your commitments? God has promised forgiveness of sin. Where is your repentance? God has promised to strengthen you by the power of the Holy Spirit to live his call for your life. 
Where is your obedience? Friends, it's not that we don't know what the promises of God are. It's that we do not have the faith to follow through. Friend, you need to take the hill of the promises of God in your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Those are just a couple of the promises of God that take place in the long road before you ever get to heaven. These are the hills that you need to take that so many are quitting on. So many. Don't give up. God has made the promise. Many of you are allowing discouragement. Many of you are allowing worldly thinking to steal the promises of God from your life. Is that too personal for you? Too bad. God wants you to take that hill in the name of Jesus. And I will tell you for me, until the day I die, I pray for the faith of Caleb. I want to look at every single one of you for the rest of my life. And I want to proclaim, I am as strong as I was back in the day. Give me the hill country. I want to take it in the name of Jesus. Because I am not finished yet. Because God is not finished with me yet. A few application points this morning. First, build a resume of God's promises. Some of you don't have one to speak of, and I will tell you it's because you're not moving forward in obedience. If you want to build a resume on the promises of God, you need to start living for the promises of God. Secondly, endure in faith, moving towards God's promises. There will be setbacks. There will be discouragement. There will be pain. And there will be reasons to quit. But endure in faith always moving forward one step at a time. Thirdly, cultivate a life of growing in faith that won't happen by accident. You've got to cultivate that life. You've got to break up the hard soil. You've got to till it. And then finally, take another hill in the name of Jesus. Every single one of you, I'm confident to say, there is a promise that God has made that you are not striving towards. What is that promise? And if you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know, there aren't any. The reason you don't know it is because you've been stagnant for so long. You can't see the scripture right in front of your face. Every one of you have a hill to take in the name of Jesus. Take it. Move with God.